All right. Yes, when you've met some people, you could go ahead and take a seat, but only if you've met some people. Hey, we are going to be in the Gospel of John, chapter 20. John 20, if you need a Bible, raise your hand. We would love to get you one so you can follow along. John 20 is where we're at today. Again, good morning. Happy Resurrection Sunday. Good to be with you guys. Uh, John 20, please turn there. Listen, there were two sentences that absolutely changed the world. It was when the angels said to Mary, the angel said, why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here for he is risen. And from that point on, that changed everything as we know it. Listen, the center of Christianity for us is just an open tomb, that Jesus is alive. I want you to know, I know you know this, I know you know it's Easter Sunday, but this is like the center point of us. We believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross for our sins and he rose from the grave. Here's the main idea. Our sin was paid for on Good Friday, but on on Resurrection Sunday, in a sense, we have the receipt for the payment. How do we know our debt was paid? Yes, Jesus died. Here's how we know our sin was paid for because he rose again. The resurrection is that transaction was complete. It's saying, yes, sin was paid for that day. You see, the center of of why we're here, of what we do, of what we believe, is we believe that there is a God. He came to earth. He lived and walked among us. He lived a perfect life. He died on a cross in atonement for our sins. And three days later, he rose again from the grave, and his name is Jesus. And if you believe on him, you will be saved. And we want everyone to know this. And listen, we understand if you are here today, if you struggle with that concept of resurrection, you're not the first person to doubt the resurrection. You're not the first person to question the resurrection. And we want to look at that. We want to talk about that. This, but this is so critical to everything we believe. Because let's be honest, if Jesus did not rise from the grave, we are absolutely wasting our time. Paul said it this way. He says, if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still dead in your sins. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. We know this. We believe this. We believe it's a fact. We believe the arguments and the evidence is overwhelming but still we recognize and acknowledge the doubts around it. Like, I want to be really clear. Do you know that the day Jesus rose from the grave, the whole resurrection story is just surrounded with doubts. No one initially believes right away. Literally, it says Mary doubted, John doubted, Peter doubted. We're going to see today Thomas doubted. Everyone doubted. In Matthew 28, verse 17, they're standing next to Jesus, and it says, and still some doubted. You got to understand again, I want you to know this. If you're like, I struggle, the Christians really believe in the resurrection of Jesus. Yes, we absolutely do. You're like, I struggle with that. Welcome to the club. The idea is the disciples struggle with that. But they became fully convinced, so much so that they gained absolutely nothing in communicating that and believing that, but they lost everything. There's nothing that benefited from that. Telling people about Jesus' death and resurrection only led to their death. So what happens? Why would they share this? Why would they communicate this? Because they saw something that day. And listen, we're here because we believe that they saw something that day. We believe that many of you have encountered the personal Jesus. You too have been changed. You too say, I can't, I can't explain it. So many of my dear friends who I love who go, I don't know how, but God ra- radically got hold of my life and I am not the same person I was. Because why? You met the risen Jesus. And our hope is that today you would meet the risen Jesus. We want to hold nothing back. We want you to believe on this Jesus who is raised from the dead. For you, for us, 
We want you to confess and acknowledge, we want to acknowledge the doubts you might have around that. Listen, our case study today is going to be a guy who missed Resurrection Sunday. There was a guy the day that Jesus resurrected and appeared to 10 of the 11 disciples. One guy wasn't there. And they're like, Thomas, we saw the risen Jesus. And he's like, I missed it. I, I know. I don't believe. Unless I can see him, touch him, put my fingers in the holes in his hands and his side, I will not believe. Again, if you, are the fir- if you feel like I really doubt this, you are in good, in good company. We call him Doubting Thomas, but I kind of want to just stop and like, change that in some ways. I want to dignify Thomas's doubts. I think that we see that this is something that all of us, I'm so thankful Thomas is in the New Testament. I'm so thankful. This story, by the way, if you read the Gospel of John and you're working your way through, and we would encourage you, by the way, like go, read, continue to study, read about John and what he tells us about Jesus' life. John 20 does seem to be just the climax of the Gospel of John. It actually seems to end in verse 31, but then there's like an extra additional chapter that John gives us. But the point is, it seems that the climax, and you'll see this, the climax and focus is, look at this society who missed Easter Sunday. He missed the spiritual encounter. It wasn't for a week later that he actually encountered the risen Jesus. And for days, he had to sit in his doubt. And my point is, if it's not today, I trust and hope and believe it'll be another day that Jesus will meet you. It might not be today like Thomas. It might be today, though. And my hope is that you would meet this risen Jesus, that you would know this risen Jesus. Oswald Chambers so famously said, doubt is not always a sign that a man is wrong, it may be a sign that he is thinking, okay? If you are doubt, again, don't feel like this is just me. We would say, but what do you do with those doubts? Do you just kind of hold on it, onto it? Do you like sit on it? Do you express it? Do you explore it? Do you just say, well, we, have, we all have doubts. No one can really know. I'll just leave it at that. Or do you go, no, is Jesus risen from the grave or not? Do you actually actively explore it? So here's the title today. The title today is simply bring your doubts. Bring your doubts. Listen, God can handle your doubts. God's like, please bring them to me. I can handle it. I want you to bring it to me. I can speak into it. So I want to explore this idea because maybe I'm not sure if you grew up in like a home or atmosphere where maybe it's like sinful to doubt, maybe it's wrong to doubt. Maybe you, you press into doubt too much. There's a book called The Reason for God. I would highly recommend it if you're like struggling in your faith or you're just like, I don't even know what I feel about this. But in this book called The Reason for God, here's what he says about doubt. He says, A faith without some doubts is like a human body without any antibodies in it. People who blithely go through life too busy or indifferent to ask hard questions about why they believe as they do will find themselves defenseless against either the experience of tragedy or the probing questions of a smart skeptic. A person's faith can collapse almost overnight if she has failed over the years to listen patiently to her own doubts which should only be discarded after long reflection. Listen, again, it's not wrong to doubt. I actually think it can create antibodies. I actually think it can help in many ways. But again, you can't just sit on those doubts. Do something with that. So here's my just plea to everyone. Whether you believe in the resurrection or you don't, I think all of us need to slow down, and I just want to ask you just to consider Jesus. 
would you please consider Jesus? Consider the one who there's more books written about, there's more songs sung about. He's the most controversial, cursed name. He's the name that people are frustrated by or sing by. He's the name that a couple billion people on this earth follow. All I would ask is that you just consider the person Jesus. Maybe you're like, I've been there, done that, but today I'd ask you to reconsider the person of Jesus. Who is he? Because here's what Jesus does. And let me kind of give you a spoiler. Um, Jesus meets Thomas where he's at. Jesus meets him in his doubts, and he's like, let's go on this journey together. And I say this, Jesus wants to meet you in your doubts. Whether you are a believer in Jesus or you're not, doubt will be a part of your future. But here's the thing, you can know the risen Jesus. I fully believe that. And so I I just want to read this story where Thomas wasn't there. He missed out on Easter Sunday, all right? And then Jesus shows up later, and it reveals himself to Thomas. So John chapter 20, why don't we just read it? Can we just read it all the way through? Then we'll pray and look at it more in depth. John chapter 20, read with me, if you would, in verse 19. John 20, verse 19. If you don't have a Bible, we'll put the verses up here. Verse 19, here's what it says. On the evening of that day, what day? Resurrection Sunday, the day Jesus rose again. On the evening of that day, The first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. Now, verse 24, because we're going to see that Thomas wasn't there. Verse 24. Now, Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, they said, we have seen the Lord. But he, Thomas, said to them, unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails and place my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. You hear that? I'll never believe. Verse 26. Eight days later, he had to wait a while. The disciples, Jesus' disciples, were inside again, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands and put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered him, my Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, have you believed because you've seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. That's you guys. Amen? Verse 30. Listen to how he ends, in a sense, this, the climax of his gospel. He says in verse 30, now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of, his, of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Amen? John's like, this is why I'm writing to you. He's like, I'm going to hold nothing back. I'm going to show you all my cards. We want you to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing in him, you have life in his name. We are not ashamed of that. We're not trying to trick you. We're not trying to hold back. The whole point of why this is written is that you might know Jesus as the Savior of the world, as the King of kings, as the God who came to us, and that if you believe on him, you'll have life in his name. John's like, this is why I'm writing this. This is our hope is that we will experience this. Whether you are a believer in Jesus or not, that you will today consider Jesus and know that he wants to meet with you. 
So why don't we just pray? Can we just pray and just invite the Lord to kind of speak and move? Let's do that. Father, again, we just want to look to you now. God, we ask that you would speak. God, we celebrate the truth that you sent your son and that he is risen and that this truth radically changed everything as we know it. And God, I just ask that you would meet us in those doubts, maybe in that painful place. Maybe we've been around this or we feel like other people have experienced you and why am I missing out? God, I ask that you'd right now and today, just please meet us, Lord. Speak to us. I believe that you are here. I believe that, Jesus, you are risen. And so we look to you now, Jesus, in your name. Amen. <laughs> I'll keep it simple. Today, I want to talk about doubt and faith. Because it's very clear, you and I live in a culture of doubt. Like, think about this. We are the doubting Thomas generation. I feel like no one believes anything anymore. Like, we can all agree. When you see a news article, you're like, propaganda. We don't believe anything, right? This is the thing that we, we see in our moment in time. There's misinformation. There's disinformation. There's fact checkers. We're like, who's fact checking the fact checkers? No one believes anything. No one trusts anyone. It's very bizarre to me how we'll see one article published and the same week there'll be another article published that says the exact opposite thing. And you're like, I have no idea what to believe. Like, we are so confused. I actually have a few examples because I thought these are some things that we've seen. Maybe you've seen these things. And it's worth like noting. We, just, we see these articles all the time contradicting each other. So here's the first one. Uh, for all you coffee lovers, this is for you. I love this article. Here's the first article. This should perk you up. The surprising health benefits of coffee. Like days later, nine side effects of too much caffeine. Right? <laughs> We see this all the time. Next one for all of you uh, runners. Yes, you should do cardio to burn belly fat. Experts agree that this kind is the best. Next article, four reasons you should definitely skip cardio today. It's funny because when you do see these, most of the time they're like side by side or like the same day or same week or month. It's fascinating to me. Uh, for all of my meat eaters, and I'm, I'm, I'm just trying to you know, make this controversy divide the church right now. I'm just kidding. But here's one. Eat less red meat, scientists said. Now some believe that was a bad advice. Like red meat's good. Next article, 10 reasons to stop eating red meat. Maybe you relate to that one. Uh, Next one, breakfast. When skipping breakfast may actually be good for you. Next one, five reasons why you shouldn't skip breakfast. My wife and I get to fight about this all the time. She's like, you got to eat breakfast. I'm like, no, 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 don't eat breakfast. Who knows? We don't know. The science is out. Maybe it's not. All right, uh, this one's from, I don't know, all my, uh, anyone who likes this stuff. Uh, I I saw this within the same couple of weeks. Uh, This is in February and March, two weeks later. Here's one. A bull market is in full swing, like stocks are going up. And most of us are in denial. The next article, this bear market probably isn't over yet. Like, what? How is it a bear and bull within the same two weeks? All right, whatever. That bugged me. Uh, pet lovers, I just want to freak you out. All right. Uh, pets, are you aware of the risks to human health? Like, I love the picture of her, like, with her dog. Like, it's so happy. Uh, and then the next one, why owning a pet is good for body and mind. You know, so there's, like, an article saying maybe it's dragging in some, like, diseases and bacteria. And so all you pet lovers, you can find out that one. Next thing is this. This is my favorite one. We're going to end with this one. Um, the six negative side effects of chocolate on your health. And then, it's official. <laughs> chocolate is good for you. I wrote that last article. All right. My point is like going through this and just seeing this, I feel like on a weekly, monthly basis, the whole idea is this. No wonder we're a confused generation. No wonder we trust no one. Like no wonder as soon as someone says something, you're like, mm, I doubt it. I really doubt it. Because that's kind of the moment we're in. And here's the thing, really, this is kind of birthed, just so you kind of get this right, out of like a secular, relativistic kind of moment, which is the idea of, hey, there is no truth. The only truth out there is there is no truth, and that's the truth. Like, that's kind of the moment we're in. Hey, there's no truth, there's no absolutes, but that one statement's the only absolute you should believe. My point is, it's confusing, it's wrong. 
my point is this. Um, no, there is truth. Truth is knowable. What I love about the resurrection, it's less of an idea, and it's more of saying this is a historic event that took place. Either Jesus did rise or he did not rise. You have to respond to this. Jesus is almost every year on Time Magazine is like the most interesting person, and there's so much misunderstanding around Jesus. Every worldview, every faith, everyone has an idea of Jesus, and the, the most important question is, who do you say that Jesus is? This is something all of us have to answer. And I do believe there is enough evidence out there, but I don't know if I can give you all the evidence in the world and you still believe. Like, there's still this idea of, like, you have to either believe it or you don't. You either get in or you don't. But I want to encourage you today that if you have doubts, you're not the first one. And Jesus is like, let me come alongside you in your doubts. So I have three points today. We're going to walk through them. Here's the first idea. Bring your doubts. He gives you peace. Number two, bring your doubts, he shows up. Number three, bring your doubts, he changes everything. This is what we see in our text. Bring your doubts, he gives you peace. If you would look at verse 19, it says it this way. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were, uh, were for fear of the Jews. We'll just stop there actually. On the first day of the week, so here's the idea. Uh, in John 20, Jesus rose again. So far up until this point in John 20, no one saw Jesus except the Marys. None of the disciples saw Jesus. The first people Jesus appears to are the Marys, are to the women, followers of Jesus. Maybe you know this, but this is fascinating. The whole idea is this. If we were trying to make up the resurrection, or if the disciples were trying to make up the resurrection, they wouldn't put first and foremost that the first people were to see more women. Maybe you know that, maybe you've heard that, but it is definitely worth considering. No, because a woman's testimony in court would not be held up at this point in time. So if you're going to make this up, that's probably not the best idea. Why were the first women to see Jesus? Because the women were the first people to see Jesus. And they're just documenting it. And then here's how it went down. And they go to, to the disciples and say, we have saw the risen Jesus. I'm like, hmm, maybe. So here we are. On the first day of the week, the disciples gathered together, right? Thomas isn't there. Here's what we see. Jesus shows up. It says the doors being locked where the disciples were for the fear of the Jews. They're, they're afraid. Did he rise? Did he not rise? They're there in this room, and Jesus shows up, and I love it. He just says, hey, shalom, right? Peace be with you. I love that because they're panicked, they're fearful, and like, I think you have to kind of say that, right? If you're just like appear in front of the disciples, hey, peace be with you, shalom, relax, all right? It's going to be okay. Now, I have to point this out because he actually says this three times, and if you're reading this all the way through, this is trying to make a strong point. So he says, peace be with you, peace be with you. The third time when he shows up to Thomas, same thing, peace be with you. I think Jesus wants peace with you, okay? Why does he say it multiple times? Probably to get our attention. Probably to emphasize the fact that do you not see the resurrected Jesus brings peace? This is the whole idea. The whole idea is not just, let me just say the classic greeting, peace be with you. He's actually making a declaration, peace is now finally with you. What do I mean? I love what G. Campbell Morgan says, famous author. He said, Jesus had faced and defeated all the forces which destroyed the peace of man. As he said, peace be with you, he was doing infinitely more than expressing a wish. Listen, he was making a declaration. He was bestowing a benediction. He was imparting a blessing. This is not just the normal greeting. This is three times emphasized and declared, hey, the resurrected Jesus brings peace. You need to know this. 
I don't think at this point in time in any of the disciples' life, they probably never had a crazier week in their entire lives than this week. Jesus, who they believe to be the true king, the true Messiah, the king of kings, is dead. He died. And with him, it seems like all of their hope is gone. The fascinating thing, I, know, I think you know this, but no one was ready for the resurrection. It's not like the disciples were like, okay, Sunday's coming. Like, so sad that no one was ready for this. This was traumatic. And so the first thing Jesus needs them to hear is this word peace. You need to hear this. I don't want to pass over this. I think we need to know that the resurrected Jesus brings peace. There's a couple ideas of this. One, there's peace with God, and then there's the peace of God that Jesus brings. Let's look at the first one, the peace with God. Everyone say peace with God. Peace with God. This is the most important thing. The greatest need you and I have in this world is to be at peace with God. There is no greater need. At the end of the day, when I breathe my last breath, I need to know that I'm at peace with God. Paul said it this way in Romans 5. He says, since you have been justified by faith, you have peace with God through Jesus Christ. Since you've been justified by faith, we have peace with God. Listen, the most important thing you need in life is to be at peace with God, to know that God is at peace with you. See, Jesus is saying, upon my resurrection, I offer you peace. The world is like, like how many songs are sung about peace? Where is the peace? How many wars after war after war? And the world's like, where is this peace? Can I tell you before it's external, it's internal. Jesus said, I'm trying to offer you peace with God, the most important thing. The Bible puts it this way. At one point in time, all of us have been or are at war with God. But because of the death and resurrection of Jesus, we can now be at peace with God. And you need to know this, that God's like, let me bridge the gap. You could never be at peace with me. You could, I have to go to you. I have to bring the peace. Uh, Ephesians 2.14 says, he himself is our peace. Jesus is, he's just peace. doesn't even just give us peace. He is it. Peace be with you. I'm with you. What you and I need more than anything, listen, do you feel like things are just falling apart? Do you feel like life is just out of order? Do you feel like chaos? Listen, what you need, what I need, do you have this peace? Do you have this peace that God wants to give you? Do you have this peace that only he can give? Listen, until you're at peace with God, you will never experience the peace of God. And that is the idea. If you want peace in your life, all right, for all my parents out there, if you want peace, first and foremost, you need to be at peace with God. You'll never have the peace of God in your life until you're at peace with God. But now is the second thing is the peace of God. We want the peace of God, but I can't skip, again, be at peace with God first. Okay, we want the peace of God. What does that mean? I, I love this. It's a famous verse, but I want you to see it maybe in a different light. It's Philippians chapter 4, verse 6. Here's what Paul says. He says, be anxious for nothing but in everything by prayer and supplication. With thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. He goes, be anxious for nothing, but be in prayer, specific prayer, calling on the Lord. And it's not just being at peace with God, but the peace of God will be given to you and it will surpass all understanding. I know there are many of us who go, you know what, I really need this peace of God because the, fi the fire or the moment or the trial that I'm in right now, it's too much for me. Listen, he offers you the peace of God. I've met and known so many believers who I go, I have no idea how you're walking through that. And it's always the same answer. It's only because I'm with Jesus. It's because I have a suffering Jesus who suffers with me. And I love what Paul says in that Philippians passage in Philippians 3. He talks about the fellowship of suffering. That, you know what, there is a God who actually can relate to us. And this God offers this peace to me and to you.
Here's, I, I want it to be really clear. I'll, I'll move on from this point, but here's the idea. Peace is not found in the absence of problems, but peace is found in the presence of Jesus. This is John 20. It's not the absence of problems. There still is fear of the Jews. Like maybe the disciples are being hunted like Jesus. You have to understand there's this thought of like, our Messiah was crucified on that cross and he was sinless. Are we next? That's why they're in this locked room. That's why they're afraid. And that's why Jesus shows up and says, no, peace be with you. You see, so the, the idea of peace is not that there's no problems in your life, but the idea of peace is that Jesus is now in your life. So we're not trying to, Christianity is not like deny your problems, act like they don't exist. It's just saying, no, but you have someone there with you. You have someone there with you. Peace be with you. I'm with you. Jesus said, I'm with you always. You see, this idea of, of Resurrection Sunday, I, I can't move on before. It, it's not just an intellectual argument for the resurrection of Jesus. It's Jesus being alive and saying, hey, do you want peace? I offer you peace. Do you need peace? You, first of all, you need peace with God, and then you need the peace of God. And I offer you both because I am peace. You see, note, note I love in verse 20. We'll keep, move on, but in verse 20, it says, when the disciples saw this, listen, then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord, obviously, right? <laughs> it's such a funny phrase. They see the risen Jesus, they're like, oh, you, it's not, it's you. Who got in this room? Who let the door open? Like, they're glad when they saw the risen Jesus. You know what I love about this word? If you would, in your Bible, even if it's our Bible, it doesn't matter, circle the word glad, because this is what stands out to me. This is why God is so cool. It says, they were glad when they saw the Lord. This word glad, in the original Greek, it just says Cairo, which is so fascinating. It's this word for grace. Do you want to know what this means? This literally means this. They were glad for grace. That's what it means. The, the Greek is being like so, it's trying to point this out. You see, when they saw Jesus, they were glad for grace. Going, oh God, thank you for grace. Thank you that though I was a wretched sinner, you offer grace. Thank you that though we didn't even believe that Jesus would rise, he's here right now in our midst. That's grace. You see, aren't you glad for grace? I'm so glad for grace. Guys, I would be nowhere without. The, the difference between Christianity and every other belief system is grace. It's not saying you work your way to God, you be good if it's saying God came to you, God sought you, God loves you, God died for you, God rose for you. Even before you loved God, he loved you. Cairo, glad for grace. This is the whole idea of the New Testament. Paul starts every letter. The Apostle Paul, when he writes like 13 different letters in the New Testament, he writes every time, basically every time, grace and peace. <laughs> and this is what we see in John 20. Grace and peace. They're glad for grace. Listen, have you experienced the grace of Jesus? Has he surprised you? Like he surprised the disciples? Has he kind of woke you up and go, oh my gosh, I did not deserve that. Here I am, whining, complaining, fearful, hiding, and Jesus just shows up and says, peace be with you, and they are glad. They realize grace is here. You see, when Jesus shows up, grace shows up. You need to experience the grace of God. We have been saved by grace through faith, not of works, lest anyone should boast. This is the gift of God. God's like, I want to give you grace. Disciples see Jesus, I love, they're glad for grace. Listen, the resurrection of Jesus reminds us that he gives us peace. Bring your doubts he will calm those doubts, those questions of your mind. He will come with peace. I fully believe that. Here's the next one I might spend a little more time on, but just bear with me, and I think this is very important. Number two is this. Bring your doubts. He shows up. He shows up. All right, it's funny to me. Verse 25, they said this. If you look up here, it just says, we have seen the Lord. So the first encounter, the disciples uh, without Thomas, Jesus shows up. They go to Thomas, verse 25. Thomas, we have seen the Lord. This is written like the active ongoing tense. So what it's saying is, they're going and saying, no, we've seen him. No, like, we've seen the Lord. No, no, you don't get it. Like, we've seen him. Like, it's saying it over and over again. And it's probably so annoying. Like, I get it. I get it. It's like that friend just inviting you to that place. I don't know. It's like, come to CrossFit. You're like, okay, I think I get it. I don't know. But it's like over and over again. Like, we've seen him. We've seen him. We've seen him. Like, they can't stop bringing it up. We've seen the Lord. 
I, I do wonder, obviously, where was Thomas? Right? Can you imagine? Again, I feel like for some reason, maybe you feel this way. I feel like I'd be Thomas. Like, what? I missed it? Like, I feel like I would be that guy. Like, Peter's like, hey, Thomas, can you do me a favor? Like, run me a quick errand. And then you come back, and you're like, seriously? That's when Jesus shows up? Right? Like, it's so bizarre to me. Like, where was he at this mo- moment in time? Like, we don't know. But he does show up. And you know what he, they, notice this. They said, we have seen the Lord. Thomas is not like, tell me more. Like, you've seen him? Where is he now? Why is he not here? Wait, you saw him? Where's his clothes? Like, I thought his clothes were left in the tomb. What was he wearing? Like, I, I forgot to have this question. Like, what, what's going on? My, my point is, that's not his question. He's not believing them. We have seen the Lord. We've seen him. We've seen him. No. I want you to feel like how adamant he is. Unless I see and touch, put my finger in, unless I put it into his scars and his wounds, I will never believe. Like, I want you to sit in that phrase. He says, I will never believe. It's unbelievable, the intensity of that statement. He's choosing not to believe. I'm not going to believe. It doesn't matter. If all, this is not enough evidence for me that 10 of you saw him. I need to see him myself. I will never believe. Let me put it this way. I don't know what brought you here or Maybe you had that friend. We've seen the Lord. We've seen the Lord come. And you're like, yeah, fine, I'll come. I don't know what brought you here, why you're here. I'm not sure if you're mad or bitter at God or the church or frustrated, or maybe Jesus has failed you in your mind in some way. Maybe the church has failed you. Maybe you're hurt. Maybe you thought Jesus would do one thing. He hasn't done that thing you thought he would do. You're frustrated. Maybe you're just kind of in denial and you're bitter. Maybe you're just doubting because it's also a way to guard yourself. It's also a way to keep yourself from getting hurt again. I think Thomas saying, I will never believe, is truly just a way for him not to be hurt again. No, no, I'm not going to do that. Think about this. Thomas is like, I was all in, man. I gave up everything to follow Jesus. I, I, I thought he was the one. I will never believe unless I can do this. I, I want you to hear that because, again, you might be in a similar, like, no, no, I've been so hurt, I will never believe unless. I will never believe. And so here's the idea. that We have to get this. Please, I, I beg you today to drop your conditions. Thomas had some conditions. I will never believe unless. If you have an unless that might be more important to you than Jesus himself, it might be a way to keep yourself safe. There can't be any room for ifs. Well, if he does this, think about that. We do that. Well, if Jesus were to show up, then I'd believe. If Jesus were to answer this prayer in this unique way, then I'd believe. Listen, you must drop your conditions. You must don't have an if or don't have an unless X, then I will believe. You must drop your conditions. I, I'm, I'm bringing this up because let me just say this. I am so thankful the Bible records this story of Thomas. Like, why record this story? Like, you, you sense, like, it's just so, don't you think it, sh- it should sowing more doubts? No, I love what one author old school centuries ago, here's what he says. Listen to this. He says, it was not an accident that that particular disciple was not present. The divine mercy ordained that a doubting disciple should, by feeling in his master the wounds of the flesh, heal in us the wounds of unbelief. Hear that again. The unbelief of Thomas is more profitable to our faith than the belief of the other disciples. For the touch by which he is brought to believe confirms our minds in belief beyond all question. I'm so thankful he was included in this story. Because his unbelief helps us in our unbelief. The fact that we see a guy that's like, no, 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 I have some conditions. And only if those conditions are fulfilled, then I'll believe. 
but those conditions weren't necessarily fulfilled. I actually want you to read again. It's in verse 26. They say, hey, we've seen him. I'm not going to believe unless I can touch him. Then verse 26, it says, what, eight days later, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them this time. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them. All right, so eight days later, by the way, do, do we actually feel the weight of that? Like, I know the story for us is like one ongoing story, but do we get like eight days later? Like, I, the next day, I'd be like, yo, guys, where's Jesus? Day two, <laughs> where's Jesus? Liars. Like, that would be my mind. Day three, day five, day seven, eight days later. Can we give Thomas, Thomas some credit for sticking around? Like, as he stuck around, he was there. Eight days later. Maybe you doubt. I want to give you some credit for sticking around. You're here. You're here. Eight days later, the Lord shows up. Hey, stick around. Guys, it might take a while. Honestly, it might take a while. Can I tell you, like, maybe just sit in the Gospel of John for a while. It might not be Easter Sunday, you believe. It might be like Thomas days later, months later, years later. But stick around. Thomas is like, come on, guys. Jesus showed up to 10 of you. Eight days later. I, I honestly try to feel the weight of eight days. I would lose my mind. Like, bro, we've seen the Lord. I'd be like, stop saying that. Eight days later. This is so important. Please stick around. Please come back again. Please say, maybe, maybe he's risen. There's something about this. We've got to give Thomas some credit that eight days later, he could be running from the disciples. He'd be bitter. He'd be mad. Why are you all making this up and, and hiding this from me? Whatever. He could, but he's sticking around. So eight days later, verse 27, it says, so Jesus shows up, verse 27, then Jesus said to Thomas, just shows up, put your finger here and see my hands and put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Do you know what I love it? Do you know what Thomas must have realized in this moment? Guys, unless I do this, then I'll believe. But I will, ne I will never believe. He said, I will never believe. He couldn't be more adamant. Jesus shows up. He's like, Thomas, peace be with you. <laughs> and he goes, hey, stretch out your hand. Put it in my side. Feel, touch, come see. You know what must have hit Thomas at that moment? Wait, Jesus heard everything I said. Wait, Jesus has been listening. Do you know what must have hit Thomas is Jesus has been there all along. Jesus repeating his own words back to him must have been really weighty. Let me repeat back what you said to me in private. Do you know that Jesus has been there all along? Fully believe that Jesus has been there all along. I believe there'll be a day maybe our words will probably be repeated back to us. There's this idea of Thomas I've seen, come on, man. And can I just, can we point this out? Do you see the patience of Jesus? Do you see how patient he is? I mean, could you imagine the audacity of what Thomas just said about Jesus? Unless I do, like, that is crazy. That is so audacious to me. Unless I do it myself, I'll never believe. Like, whoa, bro, chill out. Like, Jesus shows up, and he could be like, hey, Thomas, um, one, I heard what you said. Two, that's really weird. You want to put your fear on my side? Like, he could have come out and just said anything. He could have just called him out and said, who are you to put conditions on me? We don't see that. Do you see the gentleness of Jesus? Do you see the grace of Jesus, the patience, patience of Jesus, this invitation? Hey, come on, bring your doubts. It's unbelievable to me how Jesus responds. Jesus does not need to respond that way. I, I don't know if you agree with that, but he does not need to respond the way he did. So patient, so loving. I'm so thankful Jesus has been so patient and loving with me in my stupid comments in life. I'm so thankful he's walked through that with me and is like, all right, that was dumb. Peace be with you. <laughs> I just love it. That's our Jesus. And he shows up to Thomas and says, go for it. And can I tell you something? When you read the text, it doesn't appear, and I don't believe Thomas did it. 
I, I don't believe anyone. I always laugh when I hear people say, like, when I go to heaven, if I stand before God, I got some questions for God. I'm like, you're not going to ask them. <laughs> you're just not. You're going to forget. You're going to be like, oh, there's no way. I'm sorry, there's no way. You're going to be like, I got some questions for you, God. And God's like, I don't know. But there's not exactly do that. That's what I would do. The patience and goodness and grace of God is unbelievable. He's just like, God, I'm not going to believe unless I can do this. And then God shows up, and he does not do what he said he was going to do. You see, he did not fulfill his conditions. <laughs> Please don't put conditions on Jesus. You probably won't fulfill them anyways. <laughs> he, he's so good. He's so good to show up and be so patient. And, sit, and he says this, see, put your finger there. Like, here's the thing. I wanna, I, we got to talk about this because you're thinking, yeah, 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 this is good for Thomas. Jesus still showed up, though, and he still believed. And like, what about us? Jesus hasn't really showed up in this way for a couple thousand years. This is so unique to Thomas. Yes, he ended up believing. And Jesus even acknowledged that. You're, you're right. Jesus is like, hey, you're right. Thomas, you believe because you've seen. Blessed are those who believe and never see. Jesus is like, let me just address that. If you're like, well, good for Thomas, what about me? Jesus is like, what about you? Blessed are you if you believe and have not seen. You see, Jesus says something I think that is so profound. He simply says, do not disbelieve, but believe. Listen, there comes a point in time with your doubt, you have to do something with it. You can't just sit on doubt forever and then die. You just can't. There comes a point in time, bring your doubts to Jesus. I do believe Jesus shows up, but maybe it will take some days like Thomas. Maybe it will take a while, but my point is you can't just sit on them. You eventually have to do something with your doubt. Jesus is like, all right, Thomas, that's enough doubting. That's enough. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Do you hear that of Jesus? I believe like Jesus here, hey, do not disbelieve, but believe. It's time. It's time. You've had your, your wrestling time. You've had your, I'll do my own thing. I'll live my own way. You've had that time. That's enough. Stop. Do not disbelieve, but believe. He couldn't be more clear. That's enough, Thomas. It's time to believe. I, I have to point this out because I do think that we today, we kind of assume that back then, well, back then, these disciples, they were just more gullible. I mean, let's be honest, 2,000 years ago, you fell for anything. You would believe anything. No, listen, they believe dead people stay dead just like we believe dead people stay dead, Okay. We, we can't have this attitude like, well, they would just fall for anything. No, for a lot of Jews to believe that a resurrection happened in the middle of history, that would actually take a resurrection to happen in the middle of history for them to believe that. There's no way you're getting a bunch of Jews to believe that the resur resurrection happened in the middle of history unless a resurrection happened in the middle of history. There's no way. This is, goes against everything they believe. If you feel like the resurrection of Jesus, if you feel like this goes against everything you believe, same thing applies to these disciples. It's not like you're the first generation to go, dead people stay dead. Like, I know, I know. They thought that too. They believe that wholeheartedly the resurrection would be at the end of the days, not in the middle of history with one man. This goes against everything they believe too. We have to be aware of this. And Jesus shows up. And my point is, sooner or later, when you look at the person of Jesus, the question really is, did he rise or not? Honestly, guys, we can get caught up in so many doctrines and so many different topics. And what about this? And what about that? And that's why at church we meet and work our way through scriptures because we want to get into that. But at the end of the day, the most important thing is, okay, the person of Jesus, did he die and did he rise? Did this guy rise again? The knockout punch of Christianity to me is the resurrection of Jesus. I fully believe he rose again. Now, obviously, there's faith, but at the same time, there's evidence. That's why the author of Hebrews says, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. There is evidence to faith. It's not blind. There is evidence. But there still comes a point in time you have to take the evidence you've heard and go, did he rise or not? 
Is what I'm seeing around the world, is this making sense? Have I seen the changes in people's lives individually? Has the belief system of Christianity helped the world, hurt the world? Like, there's some big things. There's some implicit things. There's some explicit There's some things you have to consider. But did he rise or not? I fully believe he rose. I fully believe these cowards, these disciples who are hiding, fearful of their life, they went from hiding to becoming some of the most bold humans on earth where literally all of them die a martyr except for John. There's something about this. They saw the risen Jesus. I'm going to put this up here, and this is not that profound, but this is just a basic idea of Jesus, the person, and the resurrection. Listen, this is not, just hear me out. This is truly, if you just think about this objectively, this does not take a lot of faith just to believe this. Let me just put this up here. The f- five things. All right. Jesus was a historical person. That does not take a lot of faith to believe that. If you're like, I don't know. Okay, George, was George Washington? Prove it. Okay, there's so much, res- there's Tacitus, there's Pliny the Younger, there's Josephus, there's scriptural texts, 30,000 of them. Okay, there, Jesus was a historical person. You're like, okay, fine, I can believe that. Number two. He was crucified. It seems that all point signs to yes, that yes, he was crucified. This guy, Jesus, died on a wooden cross. Okay. The third idea is this. There was an empty tomb. The tomb was empty. Now, I didn't say why it was empty, but it's still believed historically the tomb's empty. We'll get into that third one in just a second. It's not, it doesn't take a lot of faith to believe it was empty. Did they steal it? What happened? Like, sure, but it was empty. It doesn't take a lot of faith for that. Number four, that uh, his followers believed he rose from the grave and appeared to them. This is actually really important. Historically speaking, like even Josephus writes about this idea of like, yeah, they actually believe they saw the risen Jesus. So there's not really questions around, did they believe that? They believe that. So what, th- what changed in them from going from fearful to believing that? The fifth idea is this, the disciples are radically changed and emboldened. Not just did they believe, but again, they're willing to lay down their life. I love what Blaise Pascal said about that idea. He says, I believe the witnesses that get their throats cut. <laughs> the idea is anyone can make up a lie, but usually when there's like a knife held to your throat, you're like, no, no, we made it up. No, they all just die. Okay, so the idea is this, historically speaking, we, that doesn't take a lot of faith if you look at those five things. It doesn't take a lot of faith. The question is going to, well, okay, fine. The tomb is empty, but why? Did the enemy steal the body? Did the disciples steal the body? Did they lie about it? Well, you just go check the tomb. There's so much evidence around the idea that there was Roman soldiers. There was basically some sort of like crest put on the tomb that you can't get in. The idea is, okay, so the, the soldiers stole it. The Romans stole it. The Jews stole it. Okay, so when the disciples go around proclaiming that Jesus was again, all they have to do is like, guys, we stole it. Here's the body. Never once is that document in any case. Fine, the disciples stole the body. Okay, let's go with that thought. The disciples stole the body. And they say, did you steal the body? Did Jesus rise? No, he stole the body. It's there. Like, one would give up. The idea is the disciples benefit financially in any way. No, usually their kids were murdered in front of them. Their homes were burnt or lit on fire. They were lit on fire, fed to lions. Like, the whole point is this. It didn't benefit them in any way. How do they go from fearful to emboldened? They must have seen something. Obviously, listen, there's so much more we could talk about and point to. At the end of the day, I don't know if all of the evidence in the world will convince the soul. I need the Holy Spirit to show up and say, do you know that Jesus Christ has risen from the grave? Do you believe that? Do you believe that? Because the idea is that there's a difference between observing that or hearing that and saying, no, no, I so believe that I'm willing to get into that truth. There's this um, guy back in the day, his name was Charles Blondin. He's like a famous tightrope um, walker, like an acrobat. Uh, Charles Blondin, I think there's a picture we'll put up. He goes down kind of as like this guy who crossed the Niagara Falls on a tightrope, right? He was kind of like insane for his day and age, like kind of ahead of his time and like, let me push the limits. 
Basically, 25,000 people eventually go to see him cross the Niagara Falls. He's so good. He's so confident. This is known like this is what he did. He actually went out there with like a skillet and like cooked an omelet. Like he made an omelet and ate it on the tightrope. He's like, look how good I am. He eats this omelet. I'm like, oh my gosh, you're amazing. Like you're a god. And they're like so excited. And then basically he goes out there one day with a wheelbarrow. He pushes across a 350-pound wheelbarrow of cement. They're like, oh my gosh, there's no one like you. Who is this guy? He's like, do you guys believe I could do it with 200 pounds like on my back? Yes, we believe you can do it. All right, who's willing to get in the wheelbarrow? And I was like, no. <laughs> we, th- we believe you can do that, but I'm not getting in. We believe it. No way. You see, when it comes to the gospel, we're like, Jesus, you're so cool. Do that omelet thing again. He's like, get in the wheelbarrow. Here's the idea. Eventually, when you're confronted with the person of Jesus, you can be a bystander watching and going, that's so cool. We can get in. And get in and say, no, no, he really did. And I'm all in. He really did die. He really did rise. We have to do something with that. Either he did or he did not. It's overwhelming that these men who gave it all, suffered it all, gained nothing, that we see that the church throughout the ages going, let's build hospitals and get kids into homes and run orphanages and give away our money to help the poor and the innocent. Let's do it. Has the church been perfect or flawless? No, but what has happened? What's changed murderers and rapists and terrible evil people into like loving their family again, loving their wives again, seeing this radical transformation? The whole idea is this. There is a risen Jesus. And my, some of my best friends have been far from God, and they've been, they'll tell you from their own mouth, I never thought I would believe. Out of anyone, I never thought I'd be here serving or greeting or saying, welcome. How is that coming out of my mouth? Because they met the risen Jesus. Listen, you have to get in the wheelbarrow. You have to say, enough is enough. Jesus is like, all right, enough. You've had enough time. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Listen, bring your doubts. He shows up. The third thought is this, bring your doubts. He changes everything. He changes everything. What does Thomas say, right? He shows up. Thomas doesn't do it. We, we see this in verse 28. Thomas's words are so profound. What does he say? My Lord and my God. <laughs> I love this. This is probably the most clear and precise proclamation of who Jesus is. All he can say is my Lord and my God. Not like, oh, I'm so glad you're finally here. Can you bring your side over? I want to like just that. No, my Lord and my God. With that, I think comes the clearest definition of who is Jesus my Lord and my God. Jesus is Lord. It's not just a theory. What he says goes. He's the Lord. He's God. This is so profound. Do we get this? He says, my Lord, my God. And Jesus said, no, no, don't call me God. No, Jesus is like, yeah. <laughs> he doesn't reject the praise of being called God like every other angel or man does. Jesus, here's my Lord, my God. Yeah, that's it. That's who I am. The only way to respond to the resurrected Jesus is the way Thomas responded. My Lord and my God. And notice this, not Lord, God, just my, my, my. There comes a point in time where Jesus needs to become my Lord, my God. Not someone else's Lord and God. Like he, what he says, he's my Lord. He's my God. The question that arises that is so important, and please don't miss this, what would cause Thomas from going from disbelieving to believing? You say, oh, it's seeing Jesus. Yes, but I do believe it's, Je- it's seeing the wounds of Jesus. Jesus is like, look, look, look at my wounds. Guys, you need to hear this. We have a wounded God. What worldview says God is wounded? What worldview says God was pierced? What worldview says God bled? 
This is so different. God bled. God died. God rose from the grave. The thing I I want all of us to hear and see, this is so important. Why do we have a wounded Savior? It's because we are wounded. See, Jesus is like, I must take on wounds because you're wounded. I must take your place so that you can take my place. Meaning, I must take your wounds, your sin, your filth, everything you've done. I must bear the wounds so that I can bring healing to you. By his stripes, we are healed. You see, we have a wounded God. There is not another worldview that says, hey, there's an all-powerful, all-spiritual being who has all the power in the world, came to earth, walked among us, and he actually was wounded, bled, and died. And now he bears the marks of those wounds. Only Jesus. It's been said that the only man-made thing in heaven are the scars in Jesus' hands. I love that phrase. The only man-made thing we'll see in heaven are the wounds in Jesus. Do we get that we have a wounded God? Why? Because God's like, I love you, and I want to take your wounds. You deserve punishment. You deserve sin. You deserve hell. You deserve death. I'll take all of that. So that if you believe on me, you may have life and life eternally. John's like, do you not get why we're writing this book? I'm writing this not to show you how, look at how cool he is. I'm not showing you this idea that, you know, good conquers evil. No, there is a God who rose from the grave. And that if you believe on him, you'll have life everlasting. Do you believe this? Listen, there is still this invitation today to believe on Jesus and you will be saved. And to see Jesus firsthand and just say, my Lord, my God. Listen, we must respond this way. This is the only way to respond to Jesus. Listen, do not disbelieve, but believe. You've had time. You've had, you've had people share with you. I would say, like Thomas, today maybe you need to just say, my Lord, my God. Actually, God, I'm tired of being the Lord of my life. I'm tired of doing everything I want to do because I'm not a good Lord. I'm not a good God. You think, I, 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 we shared this before, wrote it down this way. The human heart does not want to believe in something that will make it give up control. This is so important. We're not inclined to believe in the death and resurrection of Jesus because you know what that means? It means that he's in control and I'm not. We're not inclined to believe this, not because it's so hard to believe, because it means we're releasing power and authority to someone else other than ourselves. And can I tell you, it is so worth it. Because Jesus is not like, <laughs> now that you finally call me Lord and God, I'm going like to make your life miserable. It's like, no, no. He just lovingly comes to him, lovingly transforms him. You know what I love about Thomas? Can I tell you, if you are a doubter or skeptic, this is not your destiny. You do not have to be a doubting person forever. You do not have to be. Doubting Thomas goes on to be, I think, one of the greatest apostles of Jesus who goes to India and he preaches the gospel, establishes churches. It's so cool. You can actually go to southern part of India today and meet churches that will actually tie their roots back to Thomas. Actually, they change the last name. There's a lot of people in India with the last name Thomas. Why? Because they tie their roots back to this guy, Thomas, who came to them and preached the gospel to their great-great-great-great-great-great-grandparents. The point is, this guy did not live and stay a doubter. Jesus radically changed everything. My Lord and my God. And he will do the same to you and do the same thing for us today. But you have to call upon him. Listen, there has to be this. Paul said it in Romans 10. If you confess with your mouth, Lord Jesus, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. What did Thomas do? Lord, God, he confessed with the mouth, Lord Jesus, and believed in his heart, obviously, that God raised him from the dead. Can I tell you how simple the story of the the gospel is? Jesus died and rose again. Do you believe this? I would ask that you believe on Jesus today. I'm just going to pray. We're going to pray. Just kind of invite the Lord to slow down, speak. Church, Jesus is risen.
The only appropriate way to respond to him is my Lord and my God. Well, we just pray, Jesus, we just want to thank you. There is no one like you. Father, we are just here today to celebrate the fact that Jesus, you died and you rose again. God, that there was just doubt surrounding this. So many people struggled with this, but Jesus, you showed up. You answered their fears, their questions. And Jesus, I just ask God that you would show up today and here right now. That the questions of the heart that you would answer. That we would not disbelieve, but believe. That Jesus, the only way we can respond right now is my Lord and my God. Jesus, we ask that you be just present and just move in this place in your name. Here's what I want to say. Get in the wheelbarrow. It's not enough to be around it. It's not enough to say, oh, look how spectacular that person is. Jesus is saying, Who, who's in? And can I tell you guys, actually, you know, it's funny, being in the wheelbarrow, sometimes it's crazy. Sometimes it's intimidating. Sometimes you feel like you want to vomit, like, oh my gosh, following Jesus, this is intense. But it is so, he, he always gets to the other side. My point is, it's not enough just to clap your hands and say, yay, Jesus, get in. Listen, if you call upon Jesus, you will be saved. My Lord, my God, it's the greatest confession that you can make. Jesus said it this way in, in, in Matthew chapter 10. Jesus said, whoever confesses me before men, him I will also confess before my Father who's in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, him I will also deny before my Father who's in heaven. Listen, I don't want this to be anything other than a time for you to respond to the person of Jesus. Who is Jesus? If you confess Jesus before men, he says, I'll confess you before my Father in heaven. If you confess with your mouth, Jesus, your Lord, and you believe your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Listen, I want to just give you the opportunity to do that. Like, here's the thing. Why push this off? Why push this off anymore? Do not disbelieve, but believe. Here's what you want, I want you to know. Jesus says basically this. He goes, hey, you want a drink of life everlasting? Come to me. Come. Listen to what Jesus said in Revelation. Jesus says, the spirit and the bride say, come. And let him who hears say, come. And let him who thirsts, come. Whoever desires, let him take the water of life freely. Listen, this is for you today. Come to Jesus. Come to Jesus, he gives you peace. Come to Jesus, he meets the deepest longings of your heart. He is Lord and God. Do not just believe, but believe. You know, last night I was just praying, and I really do trust and believe there's just people here whose like, hearts are hurting, it's chaos, and you need to know that Jesus, I see you, I love you, follow me follow me. Here's what we're going to do. We're just going to play some worship. We're going to give you time. Like right now, even as I say, come, you can come. I'm going to be praying. The church is going to be praying. And we ask that you make a decision for Jesus and just say, my Lord, my God, the only way is to come. Can I tell you, it might be intimidating. It might be overwhelming. This will be the absolute easiest place you confess Jesus as Lord is in front of other people. It'll only get harder from here. So welcome to the church in that way. But I want to say this, it is so worth it. And he is Lord and he is God, but you have to confess. There is that confession of Thomas, that confession of Lord Jesus, that confession before men. And I'll say this, do not disbelieve, but believe. Church, I'm going to ask like right now, just be praying. Hey, if you're here and you're like, I've just been so on the fence with Jesus. I haven't really surrendered. I haven't really believed. Come up here. I just want to lead you in a prayer to know this Jesus. We just want to pray with you, give you a Bible, talk to you. It's simple. Just follow Jesus. 
Don't be ashamed of the gospel of Christ. It's the power of God to salvation. On the cross, Jesus was not ashamed of us. He just said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And I'm so thankful for his boldness and his love. And we're just going to ask you to be bold. So church, be praying. I'm going to be up here at any point in time right now. Just come. You're not coming to me. You're not coming to the exchange. You're coming to Jesus. Say, Jesus, be my Lord. Be my God. Don't be theory anymore. I want to know you. So right now is the time, church, I just ask that you bow your head, pray. For anyone here, right now, you can come. Come forward, call upon Jesus, you will be saved. This is just a time for you to publicly make that known. So come to Jesus.